from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, President Biden and Senate Democrats have rolled out their summer agenda. What does it look like? Well, here's Republican leader Mitch McConnell with his assessment. As you look to uh, what the majority leader has in mind for June, it's pretty clear the era of bipartisanship is over. We'll talk about what we need to be preparing for based upon what the Democrats will be trying to push through Congress over the next several weeks with Oklahoma Senator James Lankford. We'll also get insight, uh, his insight, on the report released by the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee today on the January 6th Capitol riot. The findings of the bipartisan report uh, might surprise you. Also, another government report provides insight into the reasons behind the present labor and supply shortages, as well as rising inflation. Texas Congressman Kevin Brady, the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee, is here to walk us through those numbers. The result of a new survey asking who should decide if children must get the coronavirus shot before attending school well, the results are overwhelming. Robert Cahaley, senior strategist and pollster with the Trafalgar Group, is here with those results. Parents have had enough. Last night in Loudoun County, Virginia, parents packed out the school board meeting demanding an end to the teaching of critical race theory and the rest of the left's woke agenda. This outpouring of opposition is happening all around the country. In fact, the U.S. Department of Education admitted today that most of the more than 35,000 comments from the public on the Biden administration's push of the 1619 type project in the schools, all of it, well, the most of it, uh, most of it is in opposition. Could this be a catalytic moment for reforming public education? We'll talk about it with Russ Vogt, the former director of the Office of Management and Budget and now president of the Center for Renewing America. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. All right, pray vote stand tonight. I want to encourage you to tune in 8 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to take on the issue of Pride Month. How should Christians be responding to Pride Month. We'll be joined by Dr. Wayne Grudem, Sarah Perry, and Pastor Ken Williams. That's at 8 p.m. Eastern Time this evening. You can tune in by going to prayvotestand.org to be a part of this week's edition of Pray Vote Stand. All right, the Biden administration has repeatedly dismissed the idea that enhanced unemployment benefits are fueling the labor shortage. And while he still pins the blame on other areas after another lackluster job report, the president on Friday said the benefits will now expire by September. His announcement comes one day after Republicans on the House Ways and Means Committee released some eye-popping numbers on just how much government assistance Congress has approved since the pandemic. With me now to talk more about the analysis and much more is Congressman Kevin Brady, the ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee. He represents the 8th Congressional District of the Lone Star State. Uh, Congressman Brady, welcome back to the program. Good to see you, Tony. Thanks for having me. Now, these numbers are astounding. Walk us through some of these numbers in terms of what your analysis looked at 
when we look at what the average family in America received through the crisis funding uh, in the wake of the pandemic? Well, first, let me just say, I don't know why my face is this red. I would be more embarrassed uh, given, um, you know, exactly what the American government has sent to people. Bottom line is, obviously, we need to help a lot of folks uh, through this pandemic. Um, and we did as a government. Uh, but I think it, right now with the president looking at uh, another multi-trillion dollar stimulus package and Democrats in Congress wanting a fourth and a fifth stimulus check, uh, right now, I think people would be stunned to find out our analysis shows that a family of four, average family of four, where both parents lost their jobs. Congress has already uh, approved more than $109,000 in government checks for that family. Even a family with just one uh, parent out of work, more than $67,000 already. And even with that, as you said, our April-May jobs reports were stunningly bad. In fact, at this point, five months into the new president's uh, uh, term, uh, he has already one half million jobs uh, less added than President Trump did during his last five months, some of that during the height of the COVID pandemic. And so uh, clearly what the president's policies are is really slowing, really hurting this jobs recovery. I mean, you look at these numbers, Congressman Brady, and you have to ask the question, where's the incentive to go back to work? Yeah, there, there really isn't uh, right now. One, the, the extra federal bonus on top of what states pay uh, means about four out of every 10 Americans get paid more to stay home than to go to work. We're seeing that certainly along Main Street for months now. You're hearing this from manufacturers, corporations, you know, all along that production line. They simply can't find the people they need to work in a new poll just a couple days old shows that 90% of businesses surveyed said the local economy is being hurt because they cannot reconnect these workers with good jobs. And that, too, uh, while the president said that ends uh, in September, uh, he still has an executive order in place today that says if you're not comfortable going back to work for reasons, you can just self sort of certify yourself and receive those extra federal benefits, even if the state uh, has decided you're not eligible. So the fact of the matter is the president is sending uh, mixed signals, to say the least. And it really handcuffs the economy because I've been, as I traveled, I was out west uh, this last week, and you go into an establishment and almost every place I've been, shorthanded, and people just get fed up, they just leave. Uh, And so that's hurting these small businesses because they can't have the number of people they need working in there because they can't find people because there's no incentive. Yeah, there is not. And I neglected to mention it, and you did. In many cases, people are getting unemployed, are getting better health care subsidies at home than they would at work. Another, you know, incentive to stay home. And at the end of the day, uh, it's hurting this jobs recovery. We're seeing it in the numbers. And of course, that's before we see President Biden's just crippling tax increases, which I think are already having an impact yeah. on the economy as businesses know it's going to hammer them. And, and look, I think the American people would say, look, people who really need help, we want to help them. I mean, that's kind yep. of the way that America works. But we're now seeing that this might, I mean, the, the evidence is in. While the short-term benefit for some may be there, 
there's a long-term effect of this, and we're seeing it. As you talked about, uh, the supply chains are being disrupted. We don't have people out there to to make cars. We got we've got all these cars. I mean, almost the car lots are empty because uh, they're missing uh, chips in a lot of these cars and trucks that have been produced. Uh, they can't, so the salesmen can't work. The car dealerships can't work. You've got uh, lumber prices that are skyrocketing, so you don't have builders building houses. Uh, so this is this is going to have a long term effect. It might be an initial shot in the arm, but long term, this I have to yeah. think this is going to hurt the economy. Yeah, it, it it will. And to your point, I think the best way we can help families rebuild their lives and to rebuild our U.S. economy, you know, is not through more emergency spending and endless government checks. It's through reconnecting people with work. And that, too, is not just short-term, but as you've made, made the point many times before, it is so important for children to see their parents, you know, working. Uh, it's, it sets a work ethic. It, it pulls them out of poverty. We saw after the President Trump's and Republican tax cuts, uh, we saw a lot of people who'd been left behind on the sidelines suddenly seeing job opportunities, pay raises, uh, a growth. Uh, in their household income that they hadn't seen for for years and years, that's how we help people. Well, and and let me underscore that that was real income growth. I mean, they yes. actually saw gains that they hadn't seen in decades. So it wasn't just more dollars in the check; it was more spending power. Yep. What my concern here is now, Congressman Brady, is that as we see, uh, you know, this this delay of people entering back into the workforce. Uh, because of this arbitrary, I wish arbitrary, artificial, uh, stimulated economy through government spending, we're seeing a rise in prices. In- inflation is beginning to creep up. Cost, costs are going through the roof. People are going to go back to work, and they're going to have less buying power than they did before because of this government spending. They will, and there's no question. This is uh, so. Washington right now reminds me less of a pandemic fighter than a college kids on an extended spring break. It is party now, hangover tomorrow. But the worry is we're already starting to see some of that hangover in these inflation uh, prices. We're going to see more. It's going to cost more to borrow, whether it's for college or for a home or for a, uh, a car. And ultimately, the president's own budget that he released a, a little sneakily over the Memorial Day weekend uh, they predict that after this sugar high is done, that America's growth for the next decade will be as slow as it was during the Obama-Biden administration. And that was, that was terribly disappointing. It really, paychecks weren't going up, jobs were moving overseas, not a lot of opportunities for young people coming out of school. So he is, is actually putting us on a, a path backward mm-hmm. to some pretty bad economic days. Of course, we know that the reason for that, or at least what we're going to be told, is that was the Trump administration uh, that has put us on that trajectory, even though we saw the opposite strongest economy because of cutting taxes, which you helped yep. lead in Congress, and the reduction of government regulation. Those two things combined created jobs grew the economy, and put more money into people's pockets. It did, without doubt. It lifted people out of poverty, millions of Americans out of poverty, started to shrink income inequality for the first time in half a century. In 2019, this is uh, fascinating. So in 2019, that one year, uh, household incomes, sort of what your family budget of is, went up more in one, e- one year 
than in all eight years of the Obama-Biden administration. President Trump, the business community, the free market achieved that, not government. And you would think right now with President Biden, he inherited a strong recovery. He has life-saving vaccines, an economy that's reopening, and he can't create as many jobs as President Trump did during the height of the pandemic. That tells you this leadership is wrong. Elections have consequences. And I, no I would doubt. hope the American people are seeing that in real time, unfortunately, uh, play out before them. Congressman Kevin Brady, always great to talk with you. Uh, thanks for uh, helping us walk through these numbers and see the effect of government spending. Thank you, sir. Take care, Tony. All right, Kevin, good to see you. Uh, Kevin Brady, the ranking member on the Ways and Means Committee. And by the way, I did mention this, that uh, even a, a family that actually did not lose a job, a family of four making uh, uh, twice the national median income with no loss of income during the COVID received $26,600 from the government. I mean, they didn't, have a, they didn't have a reduction in income, but yet they still received over $26,000 from the federal government. This was all about, especially these last two packages we've seen gone through, go through, is bribing the American public because it had all of this other spending from the Democrats in it. But there'll be a price to pay. There will. All right, coming up next, uh, Senator McConnell says the era of bipartisanship is over as the Democrats reveal their summer agenda. What's in it? We're going to be talking with uh, Republican senator from the great state of Oklahoma. James Langford joins us next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. What is Roe versus Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the U.S. Constitution, striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester, but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe v. Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to frc.org slash explainer. That's frc.org slash explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, then head over to frcblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. 
Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Let me remind you tonight, uh, Pray Vote Stand, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Dr. Wayne Grudem is going to be joining me. We take on the issue of Pride Month. How should Christians respond to Pride Month? Uh, Tune in, 8 p.m. Eastern. That's PrayVoteStand.org. All right, a Senate report released today on the events of January the 6th was... uh, uh, actually, it was uh, published yesterday by the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs and Rules Committee. Now, the more than 100-page report and its 20 recommendations reflect a bipartisan congressional investigation of events on January the 6th. And as the Senate Republican leader, uh, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell noted yesterday, it does not seek to politicize the process of uncovering facts. Here's what he had to say. Today's report is one of the many reasons I'm confident in the ability of existing investigations to uncover all actionable facts about the events of January 6th. I'll continue to support these efforts over any that seek to politicize the process, and I would urge my colleagues to do the same. With me now to talk about uh, this report and more is Senator James Langford, who is a member of the Senate Homeland Security Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. Tony, good to be with you again. All right, so this report, it was a product of the Homeland Security and the Administration Committee uh, in the the Senate. The House was invited, I think, to participate in it, but passed on that. Uh, Your your take on the report? So it's very interesting. The House spent four months arguing about how they would put a commission together in that four-month time period. The Senate actually did the work, and I hear people all the time saying, why can't everybody work in a bipartisan manner? We did. Uh, We actually did an equal division among staff, among members, walked through all the critical issues, did multiple interviews with FBI, with uh, with Homeland Security, with uh, Sergeant-at-Arms in the House and the Senate, with the uh, police chief, now former police chief for Capitol Police, with Metropolitan Police, with Department of Defense, uh, National Guard. We went through all the critical uh, players to the whole process of what happened, how it happened, timing to be able to identify those, and actually had written uh, testimony in from 50 different Capitol Police officers in the mix. So there was a lot of investigation, multiple hearings that were public hearings, and a lot of private conversations as well on the record to be able to go through and gather this. It's a very thorough investigation to figure out 
what happened in security, why did this happen, who got notified, who didn't get notified, how can we keep something like this from ever happening again, realizing this has been building. People forget about what was happening inside the cap- Capitol during the Kavanaugh hearings uh, when we had people right. just relentlessly going after members of Congress and following them around the building. So th- this has been building in different ways. We've got to be able to identify it to be able to keep everyone safe in and around the building. And as uh, the Republican leader uh, acknowledged there on the Senate floor that – uh, the report did not politicize. It simply looked at the facts. I, I want to go to a clip uh, shortly after the event in January of uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on CBS this morning. Uh, actually, it was on MSNBC that she had to say this on January the, uh, the, the 19th. Clip seven, please. So here we are now because of the instigation of that president, that dark president. We have security beyond any history or uh, just anybody ever thought would be the need. And why? Because this president has been telling people that the election was not legitimate and these people believe him. Uh, Senator Langford, do you expect to see Nancy Pelosi recant her statements? No, I, I don't, actually. I, I think the what we're going to continue to see is them to be able to find every way they can uh, to be able to both attack President Trump is what they've done for four years. And even before he was in office, they continue to be able to talk about him every single day uh, now to be able to continue to attack him. But they're going to continue to be able to find every way they can to be able to politicize everything. At the end of the day, we try to take a step back and say, let, let's look at this. No matter what the motivations, what happened, there's a security issue here that needs to be resolved because we have visitors in the Capitol all the time. We have individuals that work here all the time. We have press here at the Capitol all the time. Uh, we have international leaders here all the time. Uh, this is the seat of our government. We've got to be able to manage this. And uh, so we, we took a pragmatic look at this, and it was a bipartisan piece to be able to go through and to be able to work through and actually do the work that needs to be done. Uh, Senator, uh, switching gears, uh, moving on, also uh, the Republican leader said, made a comment looking at the agenda being put forth by the Democrats for the summer, that the era of bipartisanship is over. Um, Are we looking at a pretty radical agenda that the uh, Democrats are pushing for the summer? So it is remarkable. You know, we just come out of a, a vote on China, uh, which, like it or not like it, it, there's 68 votes that came on of that. Uh, there was a wide bipartisan support. It was three weeks of amendments and debate. Uh, it was what the Senate does to be able to walk through it all and then to have a vote. Uh, We had a hate crimes legislation piece that uh, dealt with before with Asian Americans. That was a wide bipartisan support. So we've seen bipartisan work when it actually they put it uh, actually put it out there. And then we have Chuck Schumer laying out and just deciding uh, that June is going to be his partisan month. Uh, Senate Bill 1 that actually takes over the elections from every single state. Uh, you've got an anti-Second Amendment bill looking to put out there. There's uh, hearings on D.C. State, but the Equality Act that they're going to throw out there, uh, they're going to continue to be able to drive these hardcore partisan leftist agenda items, and that's how they're going to spend the rest of June. So apparently Chuck Schumer saw that there was bipartisan action that was happening and determined that was a terrible idea and determined he's going to go far left progressive. I don't know whether this is just a concern he's got from a primary possibility from AOC in his state that he's got to try to find some way to put activists, leftist things out there, or if this is something else. But this is not going to help us as a country, and it will be a very, very clear statement that will come out to the country. This is not where we are. Uh, 30 seconds, Senator Langford. Could it also be that he is building a case to try to justify eliminating the Senate uh, legislative filibuster? 
He could, actually, and they continue to try to, to make that case. I don't think that's where the American people are by far, and he's not going to have enough votes, even among Democrats, uh, to be able to do that. There are a couple of Democrats that have even stepped forward and said they're not willing to just throw away 200-plus years of history of the United States Senate uh, because Chuck Schumer wants to get his way on something. Uh, that's not the way that we should function. Uh, the, the, the nature of the filibuster is not some, as President Obama said, a Jim Crow-era invention. This is core to what we've been as a republic from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Senator James Langford, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us this afternoon. You bet. Glad to be able to visit again. All right, folks. And you need to stay up to date on what is happening because this agenda is going to be pushed fast. It's going to be pushed hard. And we need your voice. Our republic, as I've said many times, is not for spectators. It's for participants. You need to download the Stand Firm app. That way you can not only listen to Washington Watch, no matter where you are, but you could also get legislative alerts so you know what to say, when to say it, and who to say it to. So download the Stand Firm app. Be a part of protecting this republic. All right, coming up next, we're going to be looking at a survey that says uh, parents have a good idea who should be deciding who gets vaccinated. That's next. Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app. As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. Website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, yesterday, Pfizer announced that it was entering the second phase of its clinical trials for children ages 5 through 11 years old to get the, uh, the shot for the coronavirus. 
And officials with the pharmaceutical company said they aim to ask the FDA for emergency use authorization of its COVID-19 drug to vaccinate children in that age bracket in September or October. Now, the announcement comes days after Dr. Anthony Fauci said on CNN that he was cautiously optimistic uh, that children younger than 12 will be eligible to get the COVID-19 vaccine by Thanksgiving. Here's a clip of what he's had to say, clip five. We are now doing studies that are ongoing as we're speaking, studies that are looking at what we call age de-escalation, children from 12 to nine and then nine to six and then six to two and then six months to two years. We hope that as we approach the end of this calendar year, we'll have enough information to vaccinate children of any age. So I'm quite optimistic we might be there by the end of the year. Now, of course, remember, we use these terms vaccination, but it's like a flu shot. You get a shot. It doesn't have uh, lasting implications or, I mean, lasting effect in terms of a preventative. Now, the uh, this giving this shot to children younger, um, possibly as early as September, is now forcing many people to answer the question, who should decide whether the COVID-19 shot should be required for children to attend public schools. I mean, this now is a decision that someone is going to make. Well, yesterday, the Trafalgar Group released the results of a national poll that asked American voters their opinion on that question. Joining me now to talk about the results is Robert Cahaley. Robert, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, great to be back on the show. Okay. So this now is no longer a theoretical question, but a very real question as Pfizer's moving forward for approval, emergency approval for this shot for younger children. Uh, No doubt that there are some very aggressive school districts that are going to want to demand this. But you have a, a survey that, quite frankly, is overwhelming in terms of what voters think on this topic. Absolutely, it is. And, you know, I think it. What this survey represents is a combination of two things. One, there there is a growing movement about, you know, what's best for our schools, what's best for our state is local. But then this movement toward empowering parents. So with the, with something like this that's so debatable, everybody just kind of moved to the air on the side of parents, except for that very few who have, you know, this faith that the federal government's there to protect them. They're uh, probably a, a, a small percentage that feel that way. But, you know, we, we found fascinating that even um, as we broke down by party, uh, Democrats were 49 parents, 49 percent parents. Republicans were 82 uh, percent parents make the decision and 59 uh, percent was non-party. And um, coming in second in most of these states was the uh, was the federal government uh, for, for the Democrats and and the Republicans. Uh, and the uh, state government came in a, a close, I mean, a, a distant second among the nonpartisan. But the percent that wanted the government to have any control, I mean, the Fed was uh, overall, nationally, we saw a 15 percent, and the state and local combined were roughly 16 percent. So it was a very small, and noteworthy is also the, the small no opinion. Uh, issue surveys like this, we don't get no opinion of 4.7 very often. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that that's very strong. People people are very strongly about this. Yeah, this is an issue that people are passionate about. I just want to go over those numbers again. This is the overall number: sixty four percent 
uh, of Americans polled on this said that parents should be the ones making the decision. 15.3% the federal government, 82 local school boards, 78 state governments, and as you pointed out, 47 have no opinion. Those people were asleep, I guess, when you called them. Uh, everybody's got an opinion on this. Uh, but it, it, this is, let's talk about the partisan divide. Is there a partisan divide here? You know, there really isn't. And, and, and this is, I think, what we've, what we've pointed out in our last few series of polls, um, whether it's the, uh, the changing opinion on Israel, where the Republicans and the uh, nonpartisans and independents still support Israel first, and where uh, the Democrats have moved more to an anti-Israel position, uh, that's an example of the, the, the leadership of the Democrat Party being out of step with their members. Uh, same thing on this and same thing on Fauci. Average Democrats uh, in the field, average people, are out of step with what their party thinks. They're still about empowering parents. So the Democrat electorate is a mixed bag of opinions that their leadership is not close to capturing. That could eventually catch up to them, I would think, uh, in elections. Certainly could. I mean, after we put out the one about the Democrat, uh, the average Democrats not uh, think, thinking Israel was at fault in the recent uh, conflict in uh, Gaza, we had, uh, you know, within two days, President Biden addressing the Democrat Party and their position of Israel uh, when talking to the South Korean prime minister. So I think they recognize that's a problem and uh, there's certainly an issue. And these, these folks are helping to demonstrate that the public yeah, really is. I'm not quite sure the Democrats can help themselves on some of these issues. Robert Cahaley, so good to talk with you. Thanks so much. Very revealing uh, poll. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you. Stay tuned. You know, and what I like about this is that even among Democrats, they see that this is a parent's call. I, I wish more of the Democrats would actually see what's happening in the classroom as their call as well. Coming up next, we're actually seeing a resurgence of that across the country. In fact, saw it in Loudoun County, Virginia last night. Parents pouring in to push back on critical race theory. Russ Vogt, former director of OMB, is here next. Don't go away. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history, and it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org Roe. The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. 
The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit frc.org slash Equality Act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media, and if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit frc.org Nigeria. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019, up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash Planned Parenthood facts. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And let me remind you again, uh, the, this week's edition of Pray Vote Stand tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. One of our guests, Dr. Wayne Grudem, is going to be joining us as we take a look at Pride Month. How should Christians be responding to Pride Month? That's tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, PrayVoteStand.org. All right, we've talked about this a lot on the program, and we're going to continue to talk about it on the program. And that's what's happening in public schools across America. Last night in Loudoun County, Virginia, uh, standing room only, parents packed the, cla- the, uh, the school board meeting out, the local school board meeting, uh, in part pushing back uh, with the removal of uh, the uh, PE coach that we had on the program yesterday, Tanner. He's now back into the classroom. But bigger than that was the underlying issue of the critical race theory. And they were demanding that the school board drop this indoctrination of their kids. Now, other good news, over the course of uh, the last 30 days in April and May, um, the U.S. Department of Education was flooded by thousands of complaints against its push to prioritize history and civics education programs that embrace the divisive teachings of critical race theory. Uh, most of the more than 35,000 comments oppose the department's proposed rules that uses the 1619 Project and crit- critical race theorist teachings uh, to guide the curriculum in American schools. Now, I want to show, before I bring in my next guest, I want to show a, a short clip uh, from CNN's John Berman. Um, no, I'm sorry. Let me go back. This is Anderson Cooper, CNN's Anderson Cooper. It aired on Monday. This was uh, former President Obama discussing uh, the Republican Party's response to critical race theory. Where uh, you would think, with all the public policy debates that are taking place right now, that you know the Republican Party would uh, be engaged in a significant debate about uh, how are we going to deal with the economy and what are we going to do about climate change and what are we going to do about 
lo and behold, the, the single most uh, important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory. Who knew? Well, joining me now to talk about this indoctrination is Russ Vogt. He's the president of the Center for Renewing America and the former director of the Office of Management and Budget under President Donald Trump. Russ, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back. Uh, you know, that's classic Democrat. They are pushing critical race theory, and when we push back, they go, oh, that's all they're interested in. Yeah, Tony, it's like the person that... Uh is calling the fire department because their house is on fire, and then somehow the arsonist then says, uh, "Somehow you're the problem, right?" And yeah. They know it's they know that it's an issue. They've been pushing it for for decades, and we're now caught on to it. We know the buzzwords. We're trying to educate to get it out. Parents across the country are rising up, and Obama's out there saying, "You know, this sh you shouldn't you shouldn't. There's nothing to see here." Uh, but you know, we know that that's a sign that we're onto something. It, it's a clear sign that we're onto something because this, I see this in many ways as Obamacare was for the midterm elections for Barack Obama being the catalyst that is, that is bringing parents together under this Biden administration as he is pushing this in classrooms across the country. I think that's true. I also think that the, the combination of the pandemic had something to do with this as parents yeah. are listening to these Zoom calls about what's being taught, uh, and they're saying, well, this is an outrageous, uh, this is not what we signed up for, this is not America, this is not the education system that we had the benefit of going through. Uh, and so a combination of all of these things, uh, this is a cultural moment uh, where, you know, I think people are realizing that the only way through the fire that surrounds us is through the fire. Yeah. And when we see ordinary people like the, the teacher having extraordinary courage standing on the principle of, a, of, of truth and knowing that that's going to lead, courage begets courage, and we're going to see more of that. You're absolutely right. We're seeing more educators. We had uh, one in Louisiana. We had uh, a Tanner that we just mentioned stood up here in Loudoun County uh, speaking out against this. This is, um, as you said, I think it's, it's a really good observation. The, the, the silver lining we've talked about of the coronavirus was that parents were exposed to what their kids were being taught. But then you had the Biden administration coming in, you know, just trying to accelerate this indoctrination. And parents were already puzzled by it and, and concerned by it. And then they see this whole uh, critical race theory. They see this uh, whole LGBT ideology being pushed in schools. I mean, right now in Pride Month, it, it, the school is like a circus with the kind of stuff that they're teaching. Yeah, the, the Biden administration has just basically hit the gas pedal on all of these, uh, the cultural agendas that they've been pushing behind the scenes. In my old office, the Office of Management and Budget, we do budget, we do regulations, but we do all of government execution. And what Biden has basically said is every time the federal government makes a decision, we're going to consider equity, not equality, equity. Equity is leveling of society, and everything that we do in the federal government that they do is going to be with this prism that they that they look through. So, Russ, uh, vote. let's talk about, I mean, I'm encouraged, frankly, by what I see happening in schools across the country, the parents responding to the school boards, demanding answers. Uh, we see parents getting involved in actually filling school board seats in these school board elections. I mean, this is the, this is a moment to be seized. Uh, so I'm hopeful because if we're going to fix the future, we've got to start with the present, and that means the kids that are in the pipeline to become the next generation of leaders. What can folks do to join the effort? Sure. 
uh, we have put forward a toolkit it's at americarenewing.com. We, we believe that strong activism and leadership comes from knowledge and being informed on the issue. So we want people to go into battle, to go into the public arena. We know it will be hot. We know that they will be attacked, but we believe that as they have more information, and we put out an A to Z toolkit on this to be able to arm them, that they will then be able to grow their networks and be leaders and be, if they can't provide accountability to the school board that they have, they can replace the school board. Uh, and I think that kind of effort is going around everywhere. But it's not just school boards. It is also county boards are doing resolutions. State legislatures are part, passing bans. Uh, the federal effort is a, is a little behind the curve, but even those bills have been introduced. And I think at every level, I tell a lot of the Republicans all the time, if, you, if you're not doing something on this issue, you are missing one of the top two issues that your voters, your base is concerned about. It, it is. I mean, there's, uh, there's actually a website that's out there that tracks what is happening with critical race theory and, and what's happening in state legislatures across the country. And there is quite a bit of activity. This is, this is how our government is supposed to work in terms of uh, when parents get involved and they participate – legislators respond. That's what I think is the beauty of state legislatures is they are more responsive, uh, and of course school boards as well most of the time, responsive at the local level. And this is where people can make a difference. Absolutely. And where the, the, the legislator will often try to get off the hook, well, I'm not pushing critical race theory, but then they push diversity inclusion. They, they use all the buzzwords of unconscious bias. When, it's, when an activist, when a, a citizen is informed, they can then move beyond the conversation, get real accountability, get real right. change, and lead. You, you need to be able to answer, uh, ask question number two and question number three. Because when you ask the first question, oh, no, we're not doing that, then you need to be able to probe and ask the follow-up question. And, and then usually if you don't have them by the second question, by the third, you've got them pinned to the wall. And uh, they they know you know whether or not they're being honest with you or not. That's exactly right. And so they need to get those resources. Russ Vote is my guest. He's the president of the Center for Renewing America. Uh, you can find uh, the website at TonyPerkins.com, but go ahead and give it out so folks can uh, sure. check it out. AmericaRenewing.com. They can get the toolkit and be armed and ready to go. And, and I strongly encourage you folks to, to, number one, know what's happening in your children's school. And it even, your, your kids don't even have to be in the public school for you to have an interest because your tax dollars are paying for it. So you have a stake in what is happening in the schools in your community. Find out what's going on. Organize parents. Show up to these school board meetings and ask these questions. And this is a great resource for you to use to uh, ask those questions. And, Russ, you know, another good aspect about this, and I, I saw this in my political career, uh, that a lot of people will begin in, uh, in an office like school board. Then they'll run for maybe the state legislature, uh, you know, and maybe advance on to Congress. So it's a great training ground, not only the doing something very helpful and meaningful, but it is a, uh, a training ground for more conservatives. Yeah, Tony, I'm often agnostic on strategy. I'm interested in building leaders. And every time someone steps into the arena with courage, that's a future leader, and that leader begets other leaders, and then we change the country and save it. Yes, and it's, it's great when they step into a battle because then they're tested by fire, and we can count on them later on. Uh, and you've seen that. You've seen when individuals come to Washington, those that had not really been tested, 
they will often wilt under the heat of the left because the left, it's unlike anything I've seen in uh, in my really quarter of a century in politics is that there is a viciousness that has that, that has consumed the left that uh, I've not seen prior to this. Yeah, no one wants to be called a racist or names. These are no one wants to read the newspaper, and so the left, by doing that repeatedly, has overplayed their hand in such a way that American people have to rise up and say, "We're going to get into the arena." And I want to switch gears on on you, uh, and I know I'm not going to catch you off guard on this because uh, you're on top of this issue. The Equality Act mm-hmm. is a, a top priority for the Democrats. And this is one that would just torpedo religious freedom. But this is what I want to ask you about, because the Equality Act is dead on arrival for the most part. It's not going to move in the Senate. But there are those that are working to have a fallback measure that's called fairness for all, which is just as dangerous to religious freedom, but it is attracting some support from Republicans. Fairness for All tries to have a compromise on the area of religious liberty and just say, look, if we have a a statutory fig leaf and protect people of faith, basically just in houses of worship, that we can then have a compromise and provide anti-discrimination laws across the board. The problem is that it's inconsistent with reality of the differences between men and women. Uh, All of society deserves to live in a society that, that understands that basic reality. And people of faith live their life in society. They're not. They're not in just a, a you know a church once a week or twice a week on Sunday and Wednesdays. And so uh, this is uh, you know we've got about 20 Republicans in the House, uh, and there are senators that are are going around and saying we would like to cut a deal like this. Can you help us? Uh, in some respects, they're maligning the views of the groups that they're calling and, are, and who are saying we're going to shut that down when we're not participate in that. But it's a serious threat. You have been an incredible leader on this. Um, and we've got to get people comfortable with understanding um, the way reality is and then and then, then deal with where people are hurting in society. Right. I mean, the Equality Act is 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 really the the crown jewel for the LGBT agenda because it basically, everything they want, they get it in one piece of legislation. But it's not just them. It's the abortion industry as well uh, because that will give, based on sex and identity, everyone, every female, well, I guess a male too if he wants an abortion, based on their thinking. Uh, But this would, as you said, torpedo religious freedom, or as I said, religious freedom but I, I, I think there's a, a, a very important point to make when we look at fairness for all. As you said, it carves out, provides this fig leaf for religious institutions. But, Russ, as you've made note of, our First Amendment freedoms are not to institutions. Those are to Americans. That's exactly right. Um, you know, people of faith live and work in society. They order their life accordingly. They are, that's what we mean by being able to practice their faith. But again, it's not just people of faith. Why is it that a person that uh, has not uh, been a, a member of a particular religious faith can't go to Target and be able to ensure that their daughter can go to the bathroom without having uh, some tension in the back of their neck as to whether that their daughter right. is safe? Yeah, this is... This to me, this is one of those areas. There's no, there's no compromise. 
I mean, you can't compromise over the safety and security of your children. You can't compromise over the ability to live your life according to your faith and to teach that to your children. There, there, there can be no compromise. No, and I think that's, that's what you and I and others are trying to communicate to the Senate and to those 20 Republican members is uh, we want to help educate you. We want to help bring you along. We understand where cultural is, but you just can't go there. Yeah. Yeah. Russ Vote, I want to thank you for uh, coming in the studio today and joining us. Uh, Russ, president of Center for Renewing America, working on some really, really important issues. Uh, love to work with you guys. Grateful for the work that you do. And uh, we look forward to seeing more and more school boards impacted by uh, your work as we work in tandem with you to uh, push back on this critical race theory. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right. Uh, folks, check out the website. Go to TonyPerkins.com. And uh, follow the links over. And Russ has got some great resources for you uh, that you can equip yourself with to go into those local school board meetings and ask the right questions. Very important. And again, I remind you that our republic was made only for participants, not spectators. If you want to be a spectator, well, don't complain when the country goes the wrong way. So get involved. Make a difference. And to leave you with this. I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says this. He says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.